Okay, so our Bible study today looks at creation and marriage. So we have to ask ourselves the question, what, did, what was God's initial intention in relationship to marriage? Have we messed it up in our world in recent times? And how do we find our way back to what God originally gave us uh, to do? Okay, so let's go to Jack to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 28. And I want you to tell us, tell me what is it that jumps out here as far as marriage and relationships goes. Okie dokie. So, Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 28. 28. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image, in his In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Okay, so when we find the creation of human beings here, how did God create human beings? What were they created as? As... Beings, they created there's, things to to go there's on. There's two of them. There's two of a couple, a couple, and uh, as a couple, that is to go forth and make more. Okay, and uh, he creates them as two genders, indeed, male and female, male and female. He creates them. Did did God have the option of cha- uh, of creating them as one gender? I'd say so. Yeah, yeah. God's all powerful. God can do whatever He wants. Uh, and if He'd have wanted to create one gender then he could have created one gender. And I and think there are some, some creatures like fish and so forth that you know kind of swap from being one gender to another as needed and, uh, yeah, have that ability to be able to do so. And so God could have created human beings as one gender. God could have created human beings as two genders. Indeed. And given Even both genders, well, he did create them as two genders, but he could have created them with two genders that both have the ability to procreate and to form a family. But he didn't. No. He created them as two genders that have to come together, the two opposite genders that have to come together uh, to be able to form a family and to be able to procreate. And, you know, um, we've often heard the saying that, you know, God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Indeed. Which raises a lot of interesting questions, particularly in you know, Western society today. Secular Western society kind of rejects that notion. Uh, let's look at a few more verses on this before we dig into a detailed discussion on it. This is going to be an interesting one, so don't be scared to give us a call. 1-800-324-843 is the number to call. And you can share your thoughts on this one or text us on 0491-064-669. Indeed. Uh, so the next one we're going to look at is Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Okay, so Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. And then we're going to jump to verse 21 to 24. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone and flesh from from my flesh. She will be called woman, because she was taken from man." 
This, ex- this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united as one. Okay, so the Bible here describes a man and a woman coming together to form a family, that those two are married, and that that marriage forms a oneness. Indeed. It does not include anything here about you know the current debate about same-sex marriage. Now, we might say, well, the debate is over. We already had that vote. Well, no, it's not over. It will always remain because it will always be an issue that people discuss. And if time were to last, it would disappear because we know from you know the study of history that whenever uh, same-sex marriage becomes the norm, that society collapses within several generations. What are some other examples of things that have become the norm that, have, that were once sort of uncomfortable or, or weren't approved and have since become more common can you think of any i think that if you look at the entertainment industry and that's a really good question i think if you look at the entertainment industry you're going to find a lot of things that have become the norm and even norms that have changed so for instance if you go if you look at the entertainment industry in relationship to what we're talking about marriage and the family it used to be illegal to uh portray relationships that implied sexual union outside of marriage. There used to be, it used to be illegal to portray bedroom scenes and then they adjusted a little bit and made a rule that you could portray a bedroom scene uh, in the media provided that at least one person in the scene had their foot on the ground, that they weren't on the bed. You know, if they were, if they were on the bed, one foot had to be touching the ground. And that was a way of, of limiting Hollywood so that they didn't go too far. Okay. Uh, Then, you know, that disappeared and you can trace it down through the decades, you know, from the through the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, where it became more and more permissible to, you know, to to, to show sex, to show various body parts. Nowadays, they put anything and everything on the TV. Anything and everything. It has, in some ways, you know, modern society, Me Too movement has removed a lot of depictions of flesh. Um, It's now more permissible to show, for instance, a a naked man than a naked woman, which is an interesting move, probably a discussion for another day um, in the media or on, on, on Hollywood and so forth. It has been replaced by... And, and, and this is what's interesting because if you're going to take away one form of entertainment, you have to have something to replace it with. And what they've replaced it with in modern times is gore. So because they've, you know, because the Me Too movement has taken a lot of the the, the, the sexual expression out of TV, yeah, replaced it with gore. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Which means that you then have to ask the question. Uh, what is it that um, what what does that say about human nature? What does it say about my nature? You know, it, it should cause all of us to do some self reflection and to stop and think about it and say, what does this actually say about my nature? And what does it say about where our world is at? Because if we go back in history and we look at the events of the past and great civilizations that have existed in the past that have gone down exactly the same path, we ask ourselves, what happened to those civilizations? You know, the Roman Empire, for instance, was incredibly civilized compared to any other nation during the Dark Ages. 
they were light years ahead of all of them as far as you know advancement in science and technology and mathematics and every other everything else and all of that vanished that's why we have we have you know this whole period called the dark ages and when you look at the parallels between that society and this society they are identical the only thing the only difference is that we do it on the screen uh, what they would you know do in on, on the stage which has gone from the stage to the screen that's the only difference between the two and so if history repeats itself then what we're going to have is a collapse of western society in the not too distant future that is being driven by a moral collapse Interesting. Interesting issues that come out of uh, today's uh, Bible study. But the question comes along, you know, because the Bible says that God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Uh, And a lot of, you know, Christians obviously will will bring this argument out when they're talking to secular people. And secular people say, well, that doesn't apply to me because I'm not a Christian. So, um, and, and so, you know, where does this discussion go from there? And, of course, the argument that is always thrown up is that secular people's morality is built on the principle of do no harm. Whereas I've always argued that biblical morality is built on the principle of do no harm. And when God says don't do something, it's because doing that thing is going to cause harm. And so then on the issue of same-sex marriage, people will turn around and they will ask me, okay, but what harm does this actually do? How does it, how does it hurt you? And the reality is that for you and I as individuals on a day-to-day basis, it probably doesn't. But that's because we are looking at a very small picture. If you look at the big picture as society in general, it does. And we should not be looking at what happens to us on a day-to-day basis when we make these big kinds of decisions. We should be looking at the impact on society as a general because when society in general is impacted, at some point that is going to come back and to impact us. Okay, so let's 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 think about this for a moment, and let's think about some of the uh, and of course during the same sex marriage debate that we had here in Australia, a lot of these um, issues were brought up. But it's important, I believe, as Christians, to bring them up and to talk about them again. How does this how does this affect society in general? So the first question we've got to ask ourselves is: Okay, why does the government involve itself in marriage? Why does the government regulate marriage? Why does the government you know, require a cooling off period before you get married? Why does the government make it hard for you to get divorced? You know, it can take like 12 months to get divorced. Um, why does the government give you, you know, relationship advice before you get married? All of these kinds of issues. And that is because the answer for that is that the government, because of course in some countries the government has nothing to do with marriage. They're like, this is a religious institution, um, therefore leave it with religions, we don't have anything to do with it. I am not opposed to the government regulating marriage, and here's why. It is an institution that is good for society outside of religion and can be practiced outside of religion. There are a lot of marriage celebrants that are not religious in any way, shape, or form. Now, of course, good society is built on good families. That's universally recognized. Every piece of research ever done has concluded the same thing good society is built on healthy families and so by the government government regulating marriage they are regulating for the purpose of creating an environment to foster good society marriage is about creating families 
And when you create a family, once the moment you create a family, then it is wrong to have people being married to each other, but then denying them to actually have a family to have children. Now, I, I, I understand that there are a lot of same-sex couples that get married and choose not to have children, but there are a lot that do, uh, particularly amongst lesbian couples, but not exclusively by any stretch of the imagination. Okay, so when you create a family that is never, ever, ever going to be, where, where the children are never, ever going to be raised by their biological parents, you've created a family in which it is impossible for the children to be raised in that home by their biological parents, then what is that doing for society? Okay, so lesbian couples, when they get together and choose to have children, basically what they're doing is they're denying the child the father in that home. I know there are some um, unusual and extreme, uh, extremely rare circumstances where that is not the case, but that's the general, the general principle as we see it. And the moment you deny a child its biological father, children are always going to learn for, yearn for their biological parents, and it creates delinquency. Just look at our prison system. I think the statistics I last saw was it was 97 or 98% of inmates in our prison system never had a father. That says something about the role of fatherhood and the importance of fatherhood. Okay, so on the flip side then, of course, homosexual couples deny children a mother. And by the way, there's some interesting uh, research to show that biologically children develop differently when they are in the presence of a father and when they are in the presence of a mother on a regular basis, simply based on the pheromones that are you know, being produced. It even affects how quickly they reach puberty. It affects, how, it affects a whole bunch of uh, physiological things as well as you know, from, a so, uh, from a societal perspective as well and environmental. Okay, so this is so what you are doing is you are legislating to create families that are never going to be that that by definition are families that are less than the ideal and we should never legislate for less than the ideal and of course God upholds the ideal in the Bible and this this is why the Bible says let us make man in our image male and female created he then. That's very, very simple language that the Bible gives us right there. Okay, something else that it does is undermine fidelity. And this is some interesting research. Uh, 80% or 79% of heterosexual couples value fidelity within the relationship. And you would think that it would be higher than that, but that's actually you know the, the ratio that is in our world right now. But that percentage is only 50% amongst same-sex couples. And so if you are creating a marriage in that kind of environment, once again, you are creating unstable relationships. This is going to be hard economically on the nation. It's going to be hard environmentally on children. It's going to be hard environmentally on the couples involved. It's going to create work and expense for the legal system. You know, the, the, the list goes on and on and on. What's more, you have legislate, you have placed in legislation a document that diminishes parental responsibility. I want you to think about that for a moment. So 
we value parental responsibility and the responsibility of parents to raise their children, but when you create same-sex couples, what you are saying is, well, actually, no, this doesn't matter. This isn't an an, an issue of importance. It's more valuable. We, ha- we place greater value on this couple being able to have a romantic day together than we do on their responsibility to their children because once again it's impossible for them to have you know the children to have two biological parents living under well not impossible but nearly impossible for them to to have two biological parents living under one roof and so when we start to look at god's original plan here we see that god's plan was a well thought out plan it was a perfect plan it was something that you know god understood how he had created human beings he stood understood the necessity of the family as being you know the primary building block of society and he understood what it took to have a family um, and this is the way that we were created all right so there's a few thoughts on uh, that particular aspect of the fact the bible says that god says let us make man in our image male and female created he them you're listening to the breakfast show podcast on faith fm positively different let's go to exodus chapter 20 where the bible describes god creating the world in six days and resting on the seventh but we're actually going to read the verse that comes after that uh which would be whereabouts is that that would be uh let me see oh i've got exodus 20 verse 12 that's the one Honour your father and mother, then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Okay, so what God has done here is he has enthroned in stone his ideal for a marriage relationship. Um, So, you know, the Bible is unequivocal that a relationship is to take place between a man and a woman who themselves originate from their father and mother. Also, a man and a woman. This is why the Bible says, you know, God blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. This was what marriage was created for. Um, Right here we have the fifth commandment where children or offspring are to honour their father and their mother. Okay, so here you've got an an, an interrelationship that cannot be fulfilled with anything but a heterosexual heterosexual parents. If you do not have heterosexual parents, then this commandment, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12, and of course everybody has heterosexual parents, but we live in a world that is you know, less than ideal, and so what you're legislating for when you legislate same-sex marriage is to create situations where people specifically don't have access to their heterosexual parents. And... Uh, Basically, your Ten Commandments are completely undermined right there. And I think part of this comes, you know, you can't respect your mother and your father if one of them's not there. And now there's there's lots of situations where that doesn't happen, uh, whether a couple gets divorced or someone goes to prison or, or same-sex couples. I grew up in a single-parent home. Exactly. So how did, how, how did you uh, honour both your mother and your father? And this is a really good question. Once again, we have a less than ideal world and we recognize that. But should we legislate to create less than the ideal? 
Okay, so I grew up in a home where my mother passed away when I was young. That's a world of sin. That's going to happen. Other people grow up in a home where a couple separates from divorce. But do we create that as the societal norm? And no. that's the issue. That's the issue with same-sex marriage right there, and this is the reason why you know, I'm opposed to same-sex marriage, because it is creating something as a societal norm that is actually damaging to society. You know, so I carry the damage that you know, comes from growing up in a single-parent home. We all come into the world with our own brokenness, but government should be about limiting the damage that people grow up with. I think for... for, for I, mean, I, I don't know what this is like because this has, hasn't happened to me, but I think for someone that has lost a parent to, that has passed away, it is still possible to honour that parent. Oh, absolutely. It's, no question And it's still that. very easy to do that. You honour the memory of that person. Exactly. Yes. However, for someone where... For a relationship where it's been divorced or for where a parent's gone to prison, I think it can be a little or bit... Or where a parent's been just absent. Exactly. I think it can be a little bit more difficult to honour that parent. Abs- oh, infinitely more difficult. However. Infinitely more difficult. It's still important to honour that. Absolutely. And so parent. if you grew up in this kind of environment, and thank you, Liam, for bringing that up. I think it's a really good point that we need to clarify right here. Whatever the environment that you grew up in, it is important to honour your parents uh, to the best of your ability. Exactly. Uh, now, not everybody knows who their parents are. I get that. But we should not be creating that kind of an environment through legislation. We should uh, be creating an environment where we honour, absolutely honour our parents wherever we can. Okay, let's go to Matthew chapter 19, verse 3 to 6. Matthew 19, verse 3 to 6. Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 to 6 says, Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him, uh, Jesus, with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united as one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Okay, so what's Jesus' stand on, on, on marriage relationships? That they should stay together. That divorce, separation is not good. Absolutely. The separation of the mother and the father, of the male and the female, is not good. And this is, I think this is key to this question because the question is asked, should they divorce for any reason? No. And the answer is no. Here's what you've got. In a marriage relationship, you are basically binding two broken people together. And that is always going to carry with it the danger of, you know, less than ideal things happening. Because the fact is we all bring our own brokenness. And because of that, you are going to get situations where people are like, you know what, I want out of this relationship. Now, speaking from experience, both as a married person and as somebody who's been in ministry for 25 years, and obviously when you're in ministry, you deal with a lot of these kind of relationship issues, what you find is that in any kind of relationship you get into, you're going to find conflict. And if people get into a relationship and they break up the first time they find conflict, and you find this a lot with, within cultures where you know, marriage has been diminished and people are not getting married anymore, they're not making that commitment to each other, 
And they're just like, yeah, we enjoy living together, so we all live together. And there's no real commitment to it. The lack of commitment means that they simply break up that much easier. And so God, by putting, you know, if God would be like, yeah, you can divorce for any reason, it would just be like, you know, just, just live together. And if it's not working out, just go and live with somebody else. And if that's not working out, just go and live with somebody else. Because we are broken human beings, it can be tough sometimes to stay together. But absolutely worthwhile. Because you can build a relationship that you can grow old with and that can be absolutely amazing, even as two broken people. Now, that does not say in any way, shape or form, and we need to clarify that this is not everything the Bible has to say on this subject, that there are not relationships that you need to get out of. So if you are in an abusive relationship then you need to leave that relationship. And if you're listening to this today and you are in a relationship, particularly if you are a vulnerable person, and we find that most often, you know, abusive relationships, you're going to have one partner who is a vulnerable partner, whether they be male or female, and predominantly, yes, in our world they are female, but not always. But if you are the vulnerable partner in an abusive relationship, then you need to leave today. There are places that are set up where you can go. Um, there are you know, shelters and so forth. If you're in that kind of relationship, give us a call here, 1-800-324-843, and we can find somewhere for you to go. But this is not just breaking up because I had a fight and I felt bad. This is where you, have, um, where, where you, where you are suffering abuse. Um, we're always going to have times when we feel bad. And Jesus says, look, work on it, make it work. It's going to be worthwhile in the long run. And I can testify to that for myself. Absolutely. Make it work. It is worth every bit. I can't imagine being single. 